We are so glad that you joined us today. We know that God wants to do something great in you and through you, and we want to hear about it. So if you can take a moment and share with us your story in the City Chapel app in Amen Corner. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoy today's message. And uh, I've been preaching on a sermon series called Don't Miss Your Moment. And uh, I don't want to miss my moment in this passage. So that's why I just keep digging and digging and digging. And so I, I don't know if you're sick of it yet, but, but we've been reading about the woman at the well. Uh, that's, that's the way the uh, Christian people talk about her, mainly because we never know her name. Uh, historically, she's just been called the woman at the well because uh, it's this lady that Jesus meets beside a well, and uh, we never really figure out her name. The writer, uh, the gospel writer never tells us. John never tells us this lady's name. It's not really that important, I think, because really she represents all of us. Uh, she's very much like all of us, and um, she has a moment with God. She has a moment with Jesus, and that's what we're talking about, don't miss your moment. She, she almost misses her moment, but she seizes her moment, and her moment changes her life. It, 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 it turns around. It's a moment that affects every other moment after that. And uh, I believe that for each and every one of us that God has a, a desire to, to, to encounter us and to change our lives, that we would have a moment. Uh, maybe it's in church. Maybe it's not even in church. But I believe that, that, that God is lining us up to have an encounter with him that's going to shift and, and to change uh, who we are. And so the first week we talked... Hey, Pete, something is definitely on. Uh, the first week we talked about, um, uh, uh, awesome, the power of an encounter. And so the first week we talked about simply the power of an encounter, that when God shows up, that when you come into the presence of Jesus, things change, things shift. Uh, there are some things in your life that you're never going to be free of until you actually come into the presence of Jesus. It's not, it's, it's not about joining a church. It's not about singing a particular worship song or even listening to a sermon. The presence of God. And one of the worst things that could happen is that you, you get connected to City Chapel, but you never actually meet Jesus. <laughs> we want you to meet Jesus. We don't want you to become religious. We don't want you to just learn how to dress differently and talk differently and listen to Caleb throughout the week. We want you to meet Jesus. We want you to figure out that at the center of all the trappings, at the center of all of the systems around him is a person, a real person, a living person. His name is Jesus. And if you can ever meet him, if you can ever come into contact with him, if you can ever uh, have an encounter with him, it will change your life. There's the power of an encounter is that one conversation with Jesus can shift everything in your life. And uh, so that, that, that was the first week we talked about the power of an encounter. And I believe Jesus wants to have an encounter with you. I believe Jesus, Jesus, by the way, went out of the way to get to this lady. Uh, the Bible says that he needed to go to Samaria. He didn't actually need to go to Samaria. He needed to go to Samaria because the woman needed him. And so God is attracted to, to our weaknesses. He's attracted to our need. When he sees a need, he, he, he goes out of the way to meet that need, to reach that person, to reach that individual. And that was exactly what happened with this lady. And that, 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 that encounter shifted. It changed her life. And so we talked about the power of an encounter. The second week, we talked about uh, the uh, if you knew who, uh, kind of a tongue twister, but if you knew who, uh, it's also uh, subtitled um, the battle of the wells or the war of the wells. Basically, uh, the woman comes to a well and she meets a well, right? She meets Jesus, who is also a wellspring of life. He's, he's, he's not a physical well. He's a spiritual well, and he has 
for her better water than what she's ever had in her life. But the problem is she doesn't know who he is. And, and, and Jesus tells her that if you knew uh, the gift of God and if you knew who was speaking to you, you would have asked him. And so um, that week I, I, I did the ABCs of God, the alphabet, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K. Anyway, the whole alphabet of all the attributes of God. And it was the, my, 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 my most points I've ever had in a single sermon ever. And um, it was a lot of fun because I think sometimes we don't ask because we limit God because our view of him is so small. You can tell that you really don't think that much about God based on your lame prayer life. That you don't even bother to ask him for the major things. You just worry about it. If you, if you, knew, if you knew who he was, if you knew how powerful he was, if you knew how full of mercy he was, if you knew how full of grace he was, if you knew how able he was, if you knew how much he desired to bless you and to multiply every good thing in your life, you would have asked him. And so uh, a big part of it is just simply figuring out who Jesus is. We miss our moment because, because we don't recognize or receive from Jesus. The ability to recognize and receive from Jesus. So, so, so vital. This woman almost missed her moment because she didn't know who Jesus was. And so if you knew who, uh, was it a second week? And last week we talked about how the answer is yes. Uh, the answer is yes. God's predetermined answer. He, he, he's coming to you. You're, you're wondering if, if you should ask or not. But uh, 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 you need to know that the predetermined, the already decided stance of God is yes. Uh, we talked about the posture of heaven, that God sits and waits. He sat by the well and waited for the woman to come to him. And that's a, a picture of God. I mean, I, I grew up where I was told I had to wait on God, and there's some truth to that. But to realize that Jesus was sitting by a well waiting for this lady to come tells me that we serve a God who is willing to wait. He's willing to wait on you. So many times we miss our moment because we think our moment has already passed. But you might miss your appointment, but you haven't missed your moment. You might be late for your appointment. And that's good because I'm late for everything in my life. And, and Jesus has waited for me. He's waited for me as I wasted time with distractions. He's waited for me as I wasted precious years with, with, with wrong focus and the wrong thing and sometimes the wrong people. He has waited for me as I thought I had lost these years. He actually was waiting for me all along so that by the time I got to where I was going... I hadn't missed him. I hadn't missed my moment. I, he was right there waiting for me. I'm thankful that we serve a God who waits. Uh, the predisposition of heaven is yes, and the posture of heaven is waiting. He's sitting. He's sitting. He's sitting on a throne, yeah, but in this story, he's sitting by a well waiting for a woman. He's not waiting to judge her. He's not waiting to condemn her. He's waiting to restore her. And so we talked about that, you know, how, how, how does God wait? We talked about the fact that God waits and, and, and how God waits. But today we're going to wrap up the sermon series. I'm finally going to end and uh, I could keep going. But at some point you just got to start preaching about something else. You know what I mean? And so today I'm going to wrap it up about the woman at the well. And we're going to read the story one more time. One more time. If you haven't got your Bible reading in yet today, you're going to get it from John chapter 4, verse 1 through 30. It says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples did, uh, when he had heard that, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Now, that's important. I'm going to come back to that in a minute, but that's, that's crucial, right? That's the 
um, the catalyst for the rest of the story. In other words, Jesus would not have encountered this woman and changed her life and changed the town if he had not heard that the Pharisees heard that he was baptizing more people than John. So John the writer makes this very clear. This is, this is, the, this is the, the catalyst that sent Jesus. He said, man, I got to go. And so we're going to talk about why in the world that, that would do that. But that was it. That was the thing that caused him to leave Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, and this has been our anchor passage, honestly. We just kind of camped out here the past three weeks. If you knew the gift of God. We talked about that the first week. If you knew the gift of God. Uh, it's not something you earn. It's not something you work for. And it's not something you work to keep or, 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 or try to prove yourself to, to, to hold on to. If you knew the gift, if you knew that it was a gift, if you knew that it was given, that, that, that salvation and, and even sanctification and even maturity is a gift. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. And so, and so it's a gift. He says, if you understood the fact... That unlike other relationships, you don't have to try to prove yourself. If you, if you knew the gift, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have. And that's kind of been the construct that we've been preaching from. If you, then you would have. Uh, there's certain things. And I find it amazing that Jesus explains to her. He tells her what she would have done if she would have known. Because Jesus knows what you would do if you knew. <laughs> And I think that's encouraging because sometimes I look back and say, man, if I would have, if I knew then what I know now, but Jesus actually, he knows what we would have done if we would have known. And, and, and I don't know that he is always judging us based on what we do as much as based on what we do with regard to what we know. He looks at this lady, and she's, she's not living in a good situation. She ha does, hasn't had a perfect resume. She hasn't had a perfect life. But he knows what she would have done if she would have known. <laughs> and, he is, and he is judging her based on that. And he tells her. He says, look, if you would have known the gift, and if you would have known who is speaking to you, you would have asked of me. And then he gives her some revelation that there's no way she could have known. In other words, what he would have done. He said, and I would have given to you. This living water. Uh, that's, 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 he's telling her the answer is yes. He's telling her, lady, if you ask, just by the way, you haven't even asked yet. You haven't cleaned yourself up yet. You haven't changed your habits yet. You haven't become religious yet. You haven't, you, you, she, she's still the same woman that she was five minutes ago. And Jesus is telling her, in, in spite of herself, the answer is yes. He, he, before you change your life, before you become super Christian, before you change your attitude, the answer is yes. God's pre-decided answer to you. He says, if you would have asked, then I would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Uh, we talked about this the second week. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Well, yes. 
who gave us this well drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered and said to her, I'm not going to talk about the well, lady. I'm going to talk about the water because the water is the most important thing. So he says, whoever drinks of this water, not this well, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. The water that I give him will well up. It will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, now this is where she asked. She said, sir, give me the water that I might not drink or thirst um, or come here to draw. <laughs> She's still not entirely getting it, but she is asking for this water, this living water that would become something inside of her. But still, even though she's asking for a spiritual thing, she has uh, 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 convenience reasons. It really, she wants this spiritual blessing so that she doesn't have to go to the same place she's always gone. Uh, how often do we pray? And we pray really because we just don't want to be where we're at. <laughs> and so she says, give me this water so that I can change my location. I can change my situation. Then I won't have to come here anymore. So Jesus said to her, well, hmm, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. So, so, so today's sermon is really going to be about this passage right here. So I, so I want you to help me um, um, declare today's sermon. Turn to the person next to you. Some would call them your neighbors. But if they don't live actually next to you, they're not your, your real neighbor. Just turn to the person next to you and, and, just, and just announce my sermon title to, to them today. It's a question. So it, it only works if it's in conversation. Okay, so, so go ahead and turn to somebody next to you. Just look them in the eye. Just go ahead. All right. And. Hector, you're not even you're not even doing it, man. All right, <laughs> just turn to the person next to you and 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 announce my sermon title. Ask the question: Are you available? Are you available? <laughs> some of you, some of you are taking it the wrong way, but it's all right. It's all right. Somebody need to ask the first lady. The first lady needs to ask. Uh, <laughs> Ro wasn't the first lady to church today, though. Today was Priscilla. So somebody asked Priscilla. She's the honorary first lady today. That's the world's okayest church right there. Uh, but the question of availability, right? Jesus is basically saying, go call your husband. In other words, are you available? Are you single? Are you married? And she comes back with this answer. She says, she says, I have no husband. And that's true. And Jesus, Jesus commends her for telling the truth. He says, you've spoken truly. In other words, um, the, the original word there means without hiding. You haven't tried to hide the fact that you are without a husband. But then, then he, he reveals to her a little bit more about her situation. He says, you've said, well, you have no husband because uh, verse 18, which by the way, uh, there, was, there was a lady, I, I, I heard about a lady who was uh, getting married and she wanted um, her cake decorated with her favorite scripture, which was first. John 4.18 that says there's no uh, fear in love because perfect love drives out all fear. That's 1 John 4.18. 4, 1 John is a different book of the Bible. Well, the, 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 the maker of the cake called her up and said, are you sure you want that passage? It's a little bit strange. And she said, no, no, it's my favorite verse. You know, 1 John 4.18. Well, there was a mix-up. He accidentally put John 4.18, um, which reads... <laughs> You have had five husbands, and the one whom you are now with is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> so the woman says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Something about what Jesus says to her is something that nobody else could have known. 
She says, you haven't got this from the town gossip. She says, sir, you must be a prophet. I, I just think it's interesting. Jesus says, you've had five husbands, and the one whom you're not with is not your husband. Uh, the question is, are you available? And she says, yes. Uh, and Jesus commends her for that because we don't know what she's been telling other people. We do know that she is with a man who is not her husband. And so my really the, the, the main point of my message today is... Uh, um, Get rid of the guy who's not your husband. Um, don't, don't live with a man who's not your husband. Now, of course, we can talk about that morally. Well, you know, uh, people shouldn't live together. But, but, it's, but, it, but it's even greater. It's broader than that. She is, she, is, she is living with a man who is not committed to her. She is living with a man who is not uh, uh, dedicated to her. He's not become exclusive to her. But she is, she's living with him. And, and, and Jesus says, I, I see that you've had five husbands. And he makes a distinction. He said, now the man that you're living with is not your husband. Husband, uh, from, that's the English word husband, from, from the Nordic two words, house, bondi. House meaning a home and bondi meaning the cultivator or the caretaker. He, he, she's saying, I have no caretaker. I have nobody who is tending to me. I have nobody who is taking care of me. I have nobody who is looking out for me. I have nobody who is cultivating uh, anything good inside of me. I, I don't have that person in my life. Now, I have a guy who's taking from me, just not tending to me. I have a guy who's, 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 who's there who wants me to help him and cook for him and clean for him, but he's not tending to me. He's not giving to me. He's just taking from me. And I think many of us are living, not necessarily, I'm not necessarily talking about living with a guy, although if the shoe fits, um, but I'm just saying that, that, that we, we live with many guys in our, in our lives that are taking from us and not giving. There may be an actual person that you are putting up with that is draining you of your life and not giving life to you, but it might actually be a social media uh, a friend or it might be a way of thinking like that, that a regret that's living rent-free inside your head. We live with guys who are not our husbands that are not that are not tending to us, things that are not tending to us, habits that are not tending to us, thought processes that are not helping us, they're taking from us. And Jesus, Jesus says, yeah, you've had some house bondies, you've had some, you've had some cultivators in your life, you've had some, some, some caretakers in your life, but now because of so much rejection throughout your life, you've come to the place where you're willing just simply to give out of the hope that maybe this person will become what you want this person to become. You're living off of the lottery. You're rolling uh, the dice. You're gambling, hoping that this person is going to change and, and suddenly start taking care of you, and he's not. She says, I have no husband. I have no husband. I had five husbands. Maybe they, they passed away. Uh, maybe they died in war or because of disease, or maybe they divorced her. Those are really kind of the options. She's, 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 she's lost. She's stuck without a husband. She is what they would call a widow which, by the way, the widows and, 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 and orphans were about, were about the same, were at the same class, which is why Scripture tells us to take care of the widows and orphans, because in those days, if you were a widow, usually people wouldn't want to marry you because, because your, 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 your dowry was so low. And, and if you were an orphan, you, you, you had no covering, you had no caretaker. In both cases, you had nobody to, to watch over you and tend to you and cultivate you and take care of you. She says, I've had five, or he says, you've had five, and now the one that you're living with is not your husband. And she says, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. You see, you see something about my life that, that you haven't heard from the gossip at the well. Uh, God's revealed this to you. 
And so she asked him a worship question. She says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say it's in Jerusalem uh, where we ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you, he's not even talking about the Jews or the, or the, the, the Samaritans. He says, woman, you will worship. You will uh, worship neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Uh, you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. But we know what we worship because salvation is from the Jews. The hour is coming and now is. Don't miss your moment. The now is moment when the true worshipers, there's that word again, worshipers that are true, that are honest, that are without hiding, will worship me in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, who's called Christ. When he comes, I guess he'll tell us everything. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, his disciples uh, came and they, they marveled that he talked with the woman and, and, and yet no one said, what do you seek? I think that's interesting because the writer, John, the writer, would have been in that group of disciples, right? And he's, he would have been about 17 years old in that moment. And he wrote this about 40 years later. He would have been remembering how as they walked up. I, I, I almost think John, the writer, is, is, is making a bit of a play on words here because he's, he's, like, he's like, man, a, a, as we were walking up wondering what is he seeking, he was actually telling her what the father was seeking. Like at the same time, like, isn't that funny how we were, we were like, man, well, what is he seeking? At the same time, we didn't know it, but he was telling her what the father was seeking, that the father was seeking true worshipers. The father was seeking true worshipers. And uh, they, 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 they talked amongst them, but they didn't want to ask him. And so, and so they, 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 they didn't know uh, about the worship. You see, uh, you, you, had, you, you had a woman without a husband. And Jesus is talking to her. That was scandalous. Uh, it was scandalous in those days for, for, for a single woman, especially to talk to a rabbi, but, but even to talk to, 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 to a man. In fact, the rabbis had a saying that if you're a rabbi, you wouldn't even talk to your wife in public uh, because it was, it was seen as beneath you. It was seen as, and it, not only beneath you, it was also seen as a little bit risque. You know, kind of like, like how some people say sh- women shouldn't show, show their shoulders in church, right? Because because the sexy shoulders make you fall and stumble. But uh, apparently, <laughs> human, <laughs> some of your ladies are like, what, really? I don't know. Uh, no, really, it's fine. At City Chapel, show your shoulders all you want. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but no, humans, and, uh, we, 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 all, we always create rules. And it's strange how we set these rules. And we don't really have rhyme or reason to them. Uh, they change. It's like, well, you can't have open toe shoes. You can't have open toe. We have all these different rules around what is proper, what is not proper. And for Jesus, for Jesus, he had this rule that you're not supposed to talk to women. And so it's very risky, the fact that he's seen in public talking to this woman who is, by the way, single. And I just find it interesting that Jesus comes to this woman and he, we, we know he's waiting for her, right? He's sitting by the well. And when she comes, he starts talking to her about marriage. So why would he start talking to her about marriage? And I guess I, 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 what I want to get to is the fact, last week I talked about the fact that Jesus sits and waits, right? So he sits at the well and he waits for us. And I talked about how he waits. He waits patiently. He waits lovingly. He waits to redeem. But I didn't talk about why he waits. I didn't talk about why, because I want to say that to the last week, why Jesus was waiting for this lady. Why this lady? Why now? Why here? This is, by the way, the longest recorded uh, uh, conversation Jesus ever had with anybody in the Bible. 
in, the, in, in, in the Gospels. It's the longest recorded conversation. And it's interesting the way John puts it together. Uh, she has six statements. He has seven statements. Any of you know anything about numerology, you know six is the number of man, seven is the number of God. This conversation with this lady is obviously much bigger than just this lady. This has to do with the church. This has to do with Christ and, and what he has come to do for all mankind. And it starts, like I said, I'll get back to at the beginning of the chapter. It starts with John saying, now, when Jesus heard that the Pharisees heard that he had baptized more than John, that's when he said, now is my time to go talk to that lady. He, he'd been, he, he knew her situation throughout all five of her marriages. But now is when he said, I need to go talk to this lady. There was something about the fact that the Pharisees heard that he had baptized more than John. That triggered Jesus to say, I need to go. I need to go. I need to go right now. I need to go meet with this lady. And I need to talk to her about marriage. And I need to ask her about her husband. I need to ask her if she's single. Ask her if she's available. <laughs> because, because to miss your moment, oftentimes we miss our moment because we're not available. Because we're distracted. Because we're, we're too busy living with the wrong person that we're too busy committed to the wrong thing we're locked into the wrong ideas and the wrong ideologies and we miss our moment because we're not available to god for god to do something in our life we think we already we're living with this guy and it's not a human it's it's a a thought process or it's a spirit in our hearts we're living with it we're holy and maybe it's an ambition we're holding on to it this is life this is good this is what this is what it's all about and we're living with it but it's not tending to us it's taking from us and we miss our moment because Jesus is right there in front of us and we don't tell him I'm available (laughs) that's what the lady said she said I'm available I'm I have no husband and so what was it well to see what what happened in John to see why John chapter 4 verse 1 is so important you have to go to John chapter 3 the last few verses of John chapter 3 where there's an interesting discussion uh, between John the Baptist and I don't want you to get confused there's John the writer and then there's this guy named John the Baptist and um, actually when you read the gospel of John John the writer he focuses a lot on John the Baptist in his earlier uh, chapters uh, like if you if, if all we had was the gospel of John we wouldn't even know how Jesus was born we wouldn't know like where he came from because the whole story really starts with with John the Baptist or the baptizer John the Baptist the baptizer was a guy who baptized people and he did it so well that they nicknamed him John the baptizer you got to be a really good baptizer <laughs> If you get nicknamed the baptizer, you know, like everybody else is just trying, but he's the baptizer. You know what I'm saying? That's like, that's like a wrestler being called, you know, the wrestler. Like, I don't even need a name. I'm just the wrestler. Anybody else, they're faking it till they make it. But I am, like, John is the baptizer. And so if you want to know, if you want to, you don't even go to baptizing school. Just watch how John does it. He's got it down. He's baptizing so many people that he's John the baptizer. That's a pretty legit ministry. He's rolling. He's doing pretty good. I mean, TBN's about to have him on there. He's just written a big book it's going to be huge then there arose a dispute between some of john's disciples and the jews about purification and so they came to john and said to him look what they say they don't ask him about purification they say rabbi he who is with you beyond the jordan to whom you have testified behold he is baptizing and all are going to him First of all, it's interesting how they had a dispute about purification but they don't even mention purification because see like 
in religious circles, the issue is never the issue. Anyway, if, if, if you ever have to deal with religious people, you need to keep that in mind. It's not about purification. They say, Rabbi, he who is with you, Jesus, beyond the Jordan, the one that you baptized, actually. John baptized Jesus. Jesus was John's associate pastor. The one who you baptized, behold, he is baptizing, and everybody is going to him. You're about to lose your baptizer badge. It's going to be Jesus the baptizer and John the used-to-be baptizer, the guy who's just trying to make his little ministry happen. Like Jesus is baptizing more than you. What are they doing? They're trying to create, they're trying to stir up a spirit of competition. You got to be careful. If you're, if, you're, if you're ever serving people, you got to be careful not to fall into the trap of competition. Because the trap of competition will always make you jealous of other people who are doing better than you. And it will always distort your vision because you're always afraid that your position and your title is going to be taken from you. You're not going to be called John the Baptizer anymore. You're going to be John the regular guy who just occasionally baptizes people, dunks people every now and then, John. You know, John the every now and then dunker. That's going to be your name. You've got to be careful not to allow the spirit of competition to, to attach itself to you. And that's what they're trying to stir up. They say, Rabbi, the guy, you know, Jesus, he's... He's baptizing everybody now. His ministry's taken off. And look at John's response. John answered and said to him, first of all, he says, a man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven. If you understood the gift, if you understood the gift, you wouldn't be in competition with people who are trying to build the same kingdom you're trying to build. If you understood that this was a gift, that ministry was a gift, the ability to preach, the ability to sing, the ability to worship, the ability, the ability to share the gospel with somebody, that that's all a gift. And it's not something I've earned, guys. It's not something I've built up on my own because I'm a great baptizer. I am John the baptizer because God made me a baptizer. That's it. And if God wants to make me unbaptizer, then fine. If he wants to take that title, that's fine because it was a gift anyway. I didn't work for it. I didn't earn it. It wasn't because I'm such a great, you know, because I got this great move and we go into the water and everything. You know, it, it was nothing about my moves, you know. <laughs> it's a gift. No, you can't receive anything from heaven unless it's given to you. You yourselves. <laughs> you heard me say that I'm not the Christ. I've been sent. I have been sent before him. I have been sent before him. And then he gives him gives them this picture. He says, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the groom stands and hears him and rejoices greatly because of his voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. Jesus paints this picture of a marriage. And this, by the way, is directly before John says, and then when Jesus heard these things, he went off to meet with this lady. I don't think it's any accident that Jesus asked her if she's available. Because the story that John starts telling is about a wedding. John says, look, if you guys want to really know what's going on here, like I can tell you that's not about me. and I'm just a, a servant and I'm happy for Jesus to take off and to do great things. But let me tell you why. Let me paint a picture for you. What's really happening here is a wedding is taking place. And, 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 and for those of us who grew up in the Western culture, our view of wedding is a little bit different. Pretty much everything happens on one day, like one afternoon, <laughs> like 30 minutes. So, you know, like people, 
a young couple, da, 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 and they come down and stand in front of me. You got the groom on one side, the bride on the other side. The uh, do you, do you? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Blah 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 blah. Tears, tears, tears. <laughs> now I now present to you the blah, 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 and da, 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 and then and then you know down. Dun 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 for our wedding. Dun 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 Anyway, and then and then we got then we got cheesecake and then we got food and then then there's a bar somewhere. Uh and then and you know and then everybody's just like you know dancing, celebrating, and then your crazy uncle gets a little too friendly with the bar and then he gets on the dance floor and and he gets a little out of control. And that that's that's like a modern wedding. Like it all happens and you're married and you're done. Like like prior you were single and then boom, you're married. And that's the way it works in the U.S. That's the way it works in Western culture. But that's not the way it worked in ancient cultures. John says, look, guys, this is a wedding. And it's not like a, this little 30-minute party. It is an ancient wedding. And in an ancient wedding, you first off, you had, there's, there's a number of, of stages. But as best I can understand, there are three primary stages to an ancient wedding. The first one is the contract stage. The three C's of the ancient wedding. The first stage is the contract. So uh, the father of the bride would usually find a suitable uh, groom. And the groom and the father of the bride would make this contract. It was called the ketubah. And uh, the contract was something that um, was signed by uh, two witnesses that were right there. Uh, between uh, the, 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 the father of the bride and the groom. Now, now the father of the bride would usually ask the woman's permission, you know, do you like him? What do you think about him? Yada, yada, yada. And if he was a good father, he would take all of that into consideration. But honestly, it was mostly just between the father of the bride and the groom. They would make this deal. And the ketubah outlined, uh, there's, there's still ancient ketubahs that they've, they've, they've found, and, 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 and it outlines really how much the groom is going to pay the bride's dad. So that's why, like, if you had girls, it was pretty good because you, you made lots of money. Um, you know, it's, I have one daughter, so hey, you know, if anybody wants to start saving up right now, it was a hundred shekels of silver, okay? So, uh, so, so the, so the, I'll, I'll, I'll take it in in, in USD. That, that that works too, but. But this, is, but this is where people get confused because they were actually declared married at the signing of the Ketubah. So legally, they were married. Uh, uh, Joseph and Mary were legally married, even though the Bible says they were betrothed because it's trying to tell you that it was a little bit different. Now, in order to break off this betrothal, for us, like you get an engagement, you know, will you marry me? Here's my ring. Yeah, okay. And then next week, no, I hate you. Throw the ring away. It really doesn't affect anything. Because it was just an engagement. But in those days, the engagement was, that was the legal marriage. You were legally married. Like no, uh, no uh, snuggling had happened yet. <laughs> no, <laughs> trying to be careful. No, uh, no, like they, they, they weren't living together. They didn't have a house together. None of that. But they had signed this legal document, and they had declared vows to each other, and they were married. Now, this is where people get confused because, because they say, oh, well, they used to marry eight-year-old girls. And that's true. They used to marry eight-year-old girls by signing the covenant, the contract, the ketubah. But they wouldn't start snuggling until like seven years later. And so oftentimes, that's kind of the way it worked. Uh, families were trying to uh, build alliances. And so, okay, I have this eight-year-old eight, eight daughter. You have a 15-year-old son. Let's get them together. Let's sign the ketubah. And then, you know, in, in five or six or seven years or however long they, they decided that there was this time at which point, okay, then the second C would come in. And that would be the consummation of the marriage. That that was the time when they would come together. 
And so there was this long period, oftentimes a year at least to seven years, between signing the ketzibah, being literally married, and actually being able to, to, to hook up. Um, and, 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 and the difference, the, 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 the time was usually that the groom had to raise the money because it was a lot of money. So he'd say, okay, I'll sign this and sign my life away. And then I need to go work like for a year or like Jacob for seven years in order to raise enough money to come back to the bride's house and say, okay, I now have enough. Um, I would like to uh, go on to the next stage which is the consummation stage. And, and in those days, it was very uh, formal, the whole consummation stage. Very formal. And really what John is saying, he says, I was sent before Jesus. And, and I'm the best man. I'm not the groom. I'm just the best man. And, yet, and if any of you serve in ministry, you have to keep that in mind. That this bride is not mine. And that's what the Holy Spirit told me one time. You take care of your bride, I'll take care of mine. That you can't, you can't fall in love with the bride because I'm just the best man. And so, and so the minister, John, says, I'm the best man. I, I, I went before Jesus because that's what would happen. See, the bride had no idea when the groom was coming to pick her up because uh, he was out working the fields and stuff and saving his money and usually lived pretty far away. Well, as soon as the, the groom said, okay, I, I can now come to pick up my bride, uh, he would send the best man ahead of him to go to the bride's house and tell them, look, okay, you know, get, get your 10 friends ready. We're, we're getting ready to have this great celebration and, and the groom is coming. The groom is coming. You need to get ready. You need to get ready. You need to get ready. It's like Bishop Jakes, get ready, get ready. And so, you know, he would, he would, he would get everybody ready and then the groom would come, and the groom would take the bride, and they would go to the special room called the chupa that he had prepared, and that's where they would come together, and it would be awesome. Um, but then after that, like later that night, like at midnight, that's when the party would start, and it was a seven-day-long party. And if you read the Gospels, you see a lot of symbolism in that, Jesus talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb, that at the end of, of, of everything, we are going to celebrate with our husband, Jesus. And the bride of Christ is the church. And the bride of Christ is his people, his people that have called on his name. And so it's, so it's a beautiful picture. But John is saying, look, I'm, I'm kind of in the beginning of that process. I have come to declare to the bride that the groom is coming to pick her up, that he's on his way. And now I see the groom, and I'm pumped about it because that's what I've been telling them about all this time. If you understood why Jesus was waiting for you, if you understood the, the background of how much he had to pay, <laughs> how much he had to raise, he's sitting by the well with the purchase price for her literally in his hands. And he says, I have raised enough, I have presented enough to purchase your freedom, to purchase your forgiveness, to purchase your liberty. And I'm waiting for you because of this long backstory that I've been working on for centuries just to come to you. If we understood that, we would be much more quick to say yes to him, to be available to him. And I was talking this week to Cheryl, and Cheryl uh, has told me uh, in times past how much she identifies with a woman at the well. And so I wanted Cheryl just to share some of her story because I, think, because I think oftentimes when we don't understand, when we just hear that God's waiting on us, it often freaks us out and scares us because he's getting ready to judge us. We don't understand how he's waiting. We also don't understand why he's waiting. 
Now that I've explained just a little bit of why he's waiting, I'd like for Cheryl just to share her story and the way that she has encountered Jesus, uh, who is waiting for her. And then I'm going to come up and uh, wrap it up at the end. Cheryl, would you come on up and just share with us for a moment? And Jim. Jim's coming up. Oh, okay. Okay. I love the woman at the well. I am the woman at the well. I was the woman at the well, standing before you as a woman who is redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And he wants that for all of us. In Genesis, the first sin was disobedience. I believe the second sin was shame. Satan came. He said the lies. And all of a sudden, now to remember it said they were naked, meaning uninhibited, naked, and they knew no shame. They were unashamed. There was no shame. Not before Amen. God. But the lies come and the enemy covers you. And that's what he's trying to do today. All these centuries and centuries past. If he can get you covered in shame, he's got you. I believe that the two demons that are strongest that have been in my life, and I believe they're very strong demons in everybody's life, is the shame demon of shame and demon of rejection if you have shame you feel like God's going to reject you and oh Lord that's something but also you feel like people are going to reject you pastors are going to reject you first ladies your best friends but it's a lie so this is my story it happened 40 years ago this year 40 years God waited for me and he's waiting for you so 40 years ago, I came to the Lord, back from the Lord, from being backslid. And man, Jimmy and I, we jumped in. We jumped in with both feet, brought our family down, got baptized. We were in love with Jesus because most of y'all know the story. I was shot at and God saved me. And all of a sudden, I felt like, my God, he loves me. I, I should have died. I should be in hell now. And Harry's heard this story, and many of y'all have, but all of a sudden, I felt like I have a chance that he's not going to keep rejecting me, that he's going to love me. He saved my life from hell. I owe him. This is the Pentecostal. Now I'm going to work for that salvation. I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to love. I'm going to do everything I can because I don't want that shame and rejection anymore. So Jimmy and I jumped in, and... I was on the choir, which I really can't sing. They put me between two beautiful singing ladies. But I was up there. <laughs> Jimmy and I were in charge of the, the singles. I was put in charge of the healing prayer team ministry. God gave me gifts right away. Why? I don't know. But he did. But I was hungry. So we went on a little bit. And all of a sudden, the pastor calls us in. And he says, uh, Jim, I want to make you a deacon. Well, I know the word. Deacon says you have to be a man married of only one woman. My husband's been married before. And he says, it's okay, Jimmy. We love y'all. The church loves y'all. Y'all are perfect for this. And I said, well, we got another problem. Jimmy's only been married one time. Let me tell you how many times I've been married. I'm going to save that for y'all. Elizabeth Taylor, 12, 13. Y'all go to 20. I don't care where you go in your imagination. But you're going to hear the truth in a little bit. <laughs> So anyway, I told him, he said, oh, my God, he got quiet. He went up and shut the door so the secretary wouldn't hear it. He said, Cheryl, please, please don't tell anybody in the church you've been married before that many times. 
one time was too, really too many in the Pentecostal. But anyway, I said, but why? I feel clean now. I feel good. I feel like God loves me. No, Cheryl. The church as he knew it, the God as he knew it, we can forgive homosexuals, we can forgive murderers, we can forgive adulterers. Oh, we can put them under the cross. But don't tell anybody you've been married multiple times, Cheryl. Please don't do this. So I walk out still thinking I'm unlovable. If they knew me, if they knew the truth, I'm unlovable. They love me now, but they won't love me if they know. So the enemy had me again. So it took a little while, and I kept performing, and I kept breaking chains off of people that were in shame, men, women, teenagers. God was using me, but I wasn't. I was a fake. That's what I felt like. I wanted somebody to do the same thing to me that I was helping do to them. But I was told by a precious pastor that I trusted and loved. Don't do this, Cheryl. And it's okay. His motives were right. He loved me. He loved me. He didn't want people to see me differently. So anyway, we go on a retreat. Now, the retreat is by a prophet lady who's almost as good as Heidi Baker, if any of you know it. He pulls, she pulls you out. She reads your mail. Oh, you've done this, and you've done that, and you're here, and you're here. And we were so excited. But she sent us a flyer, and the question was, I want you to come, and I want you to write down what you want from God the most. And mine was to be set free of shame. So I'm in the car. We have, gosh, at that time, six deacon wives. Not in my car. I had six women in my car. And I had bought a great big grocery bag full of candy. Ghirardelli, good chocolate candy, Snickers bars, M&M's, what, but good stuff. And I told the lady to pull it out from the floorboard, and we set it in the middle. And I said, okay, let's enjoy chocolate. What woman doesn't want chocolate? And we're driving three hours north. And I look in the back, and this one woman, I'll call her Mary, I can't remember her name. She's got tears welling up in her eyes. And I said, Mary, what's wrong? And she said, well, we're not supposed to tell anybody what we're going for. But I can't have any of that candy. And I said, why? And she said, because I'm bulimic. And I hide. And I, eat, I could eat the whole thing. And then I throw up. And I said, okay. And man, I hit those windows and I pulled every window down and I said, throw every piece of that candy out the, the highway. And we were throwing candy out the highway like you wouldn't believe. And one of the girls said, well, can I put some in my purse and have it later? <laughs> well, I'm like the three musketeers. It's one for all or all for one. And I said, hey, if one of our sisters can't do it, None of us do it. And she started openly weeping. And I said, honey, what's wrong? She said, I've never had anybody show me that much love. I redeemed her. The Jesus in me that said, if you can't have it, we don't need it. And she, she said, nobody's ever loved me that much. 
So we go to the meeting, and we're sitting there, and the first day was pretty scary for me because I knew, I knew in my spirit what was coming, but I didn't know how it was going to come. We had all of us deacon wives sitting up there with their pretty outfits on and holy and holy, holy. <sighs> First day went okay. Second day was my moment. I didn't really realize I could have missed my moment and I came very close to it. Because you see that when Jesus waits on you the way I saw it in the Pentecostal world, he sits on a throne, but it's a judgment seat. It's not a seat of love. It's a seat of tallies of how much you're doing and how much he can get rid of things for you. But it was just a judgment seat, and judgment's a horrible thing. I didn't see it that he sat down and said, this day I've waited long enough. I have more for you. So the Heidi Baker lady gets up on the stage and she said, I can't preach what I was going to preach today because an angel came and sat down on my bed, woke me up at 2 o'clock this morning and said, there is a woman in the congregation who has been married five times and God wants her set free so she can do the things greater that he has set before her. And I'm sitting there as stoic, as blind. It was like, don't you dare call me up. I knew she could. I bet she knew who I was. I'm going, no, 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 no. Don't do this, God. Don't do this, God. Don't do this, God. It's, 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 nice. it's nice that you send an angel to tell her to do it, but don't do this to me. Not here, not now. I've got the deacon's wives here, and the pastor's going to find out. Oh, Lord, what do I do? So I just sit there as stoic as I can, waiting for her to call me up. But she calls this precious little lady up who looks a little bit like our precious little Desiree, little tiny thing. And she comes up, and she says, okay, you're going to be the woman at the well. I'm going to be the devil. I'm going to be Satan. And he turned to her, and he gave her, she gave him the... Why two, why fours? You are absolutely unlovable. You should be ashamed of yourself. Here you are up in the church thinking you're so highly. And just, I can't even remember what she said he said. But it was absolutely purely from the pits of hell of how much he hated me and wanted me to think God hated and tolerated me only. He didn't hate me. He hated the sin. But he was still tolerating me. And then she says, we're going to change the scene. She said, baby, you're going to be my daughter. And I'm going to be Jesus this time. And she took both of her little hands on each side of her cheek, representing me. And said, I have waited for this day. I love you. I know the motive of every single time you were married. I know the pain. I knew the hurt. I knew the degradation. I know the shame that you're carrying. But I want to do greater things through you. Today is the day to get back naked before me. And then she said, I want every, and, and I still was very stoic. Still didn't know what to do. 
It was great to know my God loved me. It was great to know he died for all that, and he didn't really put that label on me. Because the woman at the well is not really about the marriages. Last week, I went outside, and several women, we were talking, and they said, I'm the woman at the well. And I felt, oh, you've been married before too? Many times? No, 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 no. I don't have multiple marriage, but I had shame. And I heard another guy. It's not just about a woman. It's about his children. It's about enemy putting shame on all of us. So don't look at the woman at the well as the woman who's been married so many times. That, that is true. It's a fact. But it's about a woman who was so covered in shame, she didn't want to have her face put in a certain time of the day that, you know, Harry explained to but what gets me is he sat and waited and waited. And how long had he waited on me? How many tears did I cry? How many times did I call out? I don't want to be a fake. I want people to know. And if they love me, it's okay. I don't care. But Lord, I need you to love me. Because I was still feeling that rejection. So anyway, long story short is she said, I want everybody... I don't want you all to get naked because we're, you know, we don't want to get naked, but we're going to do something else. I want all of you to take your shoes off and I want you to go out there and I want you to walk and I want you to feel like you are naked before God, unashamed. So I did that for a little while, but what I did is I went back to my room and I sat on the bed and I cried and I wept and I said, Lord, you send an angel to her. Send an angel to me. Send an angel to me to tell me what to do because I'm still hiding I can't tell anybody. My pastor doesn't want me to tell anybody. And I loved him. I trusted him. So nothing happened. And I heard all this laughter coming from the next room. So I go over there, and I'm the last one in the room. And there was 350 to 400 women at this retreat from all different churches. So there was a lot of women that I didn't know. And they were lined up, sitting in this little hotel, motel-looking thing, all the way, and there was only one seat left, and that was for me to sit down on the bed next to a lady that goes to our church, another deacon's wife in the church in the room, too. And I'm eating, and I'm enjoying my food, and all of a sudden, I kind of get shocked, and I go, oh, dear Lord, because of the question she had asked, tell us what God did for you today, and I just want to absolutely run I'm still not ready for that moment. It's there, but I'm scared. How do you absolutely let go completely uninhibited and walk without shame? Because now I'm going to shame my pastor, probably leave the church, probably get kicked out. I don't know the ramifications of what would happen, but I loved him. I, loved, I want to please him. But the main thing is we want to please God. So anyway, it got all the way around to me, and here's this tough woman. And she says, and what is your name? And I hit the bed. I go down. And I am weeping and bawling like a, I don't know, a goat caught in a fence. Who knows? It just was wailing, wailing and wailing and wailing. <laughs> and the little girl next to me that I don't even remember her name says, this is my precious friend, Cheryl. Something really good must have happened to her today. And I'm trying to catch my breath and trying to catch my breath and trying to catch my breath. And I finally come up with all the guts and all the nerve that I knew. 
And I said, I'm the woman at the well. I'm the one she was talking to. I'm the one who's been married five times. I'm the one that God wants to set free. Quiet as a pen. My head was down. You know how shame people look? They, they walk around like this. They put their hand. You know, they, they don't look up and say, my Redeemer is here. I had my head down. And all of a sudden, this leg's hanging off the bed, and I feel this little tap on my knee. This gorgeous, beautiful, little size two black lady. I'll never forget her as long as I live. She looked up at me, and she said, I've been married three times, and I'm, I'm living with a man who's not my husband. Will you pray for me? Because I saw how God talked to you on that stage. And I took my hands on her little face that I prayed for. And, buddy, they lined up in the room. I had five, six, seven women in that room that said, I've been married before, too, and I've been married before, too, and I've been married before, too, and I've been shamed, and I'm living with a man, and we're, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I walked out of that place redeemed. So now the deacon's wives know. Everybody knows. She got up. I wrote her a note, and she got up and read it the next day, and I told her everything that had happened. And I expected her to call me up, or I expected her. And I was ready. I was ready. But she didn't. And I said, okay. Here comes the fun part. So we go to church the next day. And our pastor says, um, well, the women went to a retreat this weekend. I heard there was about 350 women there. Anybody want to give a testimony on what God did to you today? Bingo. Here goes Cheryl. I'm always ready, passionate to talk about God. I went right past him, looked at him. And I was just, you know, okay, here we go. And I gave my testimony. And it got very quiet. And the first thing that came back to me you know now, are you going to love me? Are you going to love the child that hurt? Are you going to love me? And it got real quiet. And all of a sudden, now this wasn't for me, guys. There was a standing ovation of clapping all over the church of about 200 people. And all of a sudden, the pastor came up and he took the microphone I didn't know what was going to happen. And he turned to the congregation. And he said, I first want to ask Cheryl to forgive me. I put that on her. I kept it on her. From now on, this church is going to be a church that's going to walk in freedom. I want testimonies upon testimonies upon testimonies of what God has done, will do, and can do in your life. Now, I don't want a standing ovation today because I know y'all love me. But I want this man to have one. To, before you stand up, I want to say something. God told me this about 3 o'clock in the morning. How many churches have a pastor that loves you for the warts, that wants to see you set free, that wants you redeemed, that wants you transformed? This pastor does. This is a true shepherd who sits and waits for us. Thank you, Sarah. Love you. And that, by the way, is what John was talking about. He said the voice. He said, he said, my joy is fulfilled when I hear the voice of the groom. At which point does the, the best man hear the voice? Not when he's going to tell the bride. 
When the bride comes back, yeah, he hears the voice then. But the main goal of the best man, the main role of the best man in the ancient wedding was to accompany the groom and the bride to the chupa, the room where they're going to make it official. And the best man would close the door and wait outside uh, for them to officially make it official. And after they officially made it official, the best man's job was to listen for the voice of the groom, for the groom to call out whether or not she had been accepted or not. Because if she was found not to be a virgin, she could be stoned. Or at least just rejected, divorced easily, and the groom gets his money back. The main job of the bridesmaid, of the, of the best man, was to listen for the voice of the groom that his wife had been accepted. And he said, when I hear that, that's when I, my joy is filled. And that's our role. You never really know joy until you lead somebody who's full of shame to Jesus. Let them get alone in a room together. And then hear Jesus talk about how he's accepted her or him or them. <laughs> you never, that's, 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 that's the joy of ministry. That's the joy of leading. It's not about preaching. It's not about churches. It's not about having a church service. It's about watching people connect with Jesus. You close the door, let them do their thing. And then, and then Jesus declares that they are accepted. Are they perfect? No, but they're accepted. Do they have a past? Yeah, but they're accepted. The, that the group is satisfied with his pride. That she's enough. That she's perfect in his eyes. Would you bow your head with me? Lord, we come to you right now. And we want to see you set everyone free of shame that holds on to them. We want to see you break every chain that would, that would, that would grab a hold of people and keep them buried, keep them underneath the weight of their past. We want to, we want to hear the voice of the groom. We want to hear the voice of Jesus Christ declaring over each and every person in this room that they are accepted, that they are perfect in his eyes, that they are enough, that they are welcomed into his family, that they can take on his name, that they can take on his, his inheritance, that they can take on his life, that they can go and be with him. And we're, we're, we're awaiting the celebration. That's heaven. But right now, we're just bringing people to the one who will accept them, to the one who will, who will welcome them, to the one who's been waiting on them and been planning for them, and to the one who has paid for their redemption. And so, Lord, if there's anybody in this room here today who hasn't received that redemption, we receive it right now in the name of Jesus. We receive your love. We receive your grace. We receive your mercy. We receive the price that Jesus Christ paid with his own body. It wasn't silver or gold, as, first, as Second Peter says, but it was the precious blood of the Lamb that purchased us and that bought us and that enabled us to become uh, sons and daughters of the living God, that got us a place at this table. We don't deserve to be here, but we have been welcomed into this family because of the love of the Father who made a contract <laughs> with our Father and got us out of that house and brought us into his house, the house of his Son. And so we receive it by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.